0: In the, middle, in the middle of this. I'm going to have to get you. Happy New Year, huh? Hey. I was uh, in bed at 10 o'clock last night. I guess that's how old I am now. And, uh, the church was full of people playing games. That was pretty fun, huh? But I knew that I was preaching and wisdom would say, go home early and take a nap. Not take a nap, go to bed. And I'm really glad that I did that. Oh, man. It's like there's still several of us out partying right now probably, huh? Do we need to call out names and just, you know, say who's... Let's see what's going on. You think so, Helen? (laughs) We said that Helen just came right from the party to church because her sparkly shirt that she has on, she hadn't gone to bed yet. (laughs) She's... (laughs) Which is entirely not true. (laughs) So, um, I'm excited to start something like I always say that, right? I'm always excited about something. Um, We're going to start going through the book of Exodus. Anyone excited about that? I know I am, yeah. Let's go, all right. Well, you can turn, no. I have a frog in my throat. Give me a second. Let me drink something. <clears throat> there we go. There we go. Um, all right. So yes, we're gonna we're gonna uh, go through the book of Exodus. I'm pumped about it. This is such a critical, like, even foundational book for the scriptures as a whole. For the story that God has been telling for thousands of years. Like we will see echoes of what happened in Exodus. All throughout the scriptures, we'll see it in Jesus, and we'll see it in His life. You know, we'll see things like Matthew saying, "Out of Egypt, therefore, out of Egypt I called my son." And if we have no idea what happened in the Book of Exodus and what's taken place, we might be like head scratching and going, "Matthew, why are you saying this is to fulfill the word that was spoken that says I, you know, out of Egypt I, you know, have called my son.' But if we know what's going on and we learn what's taking place in Exodus, we can say, oh, so Matthew is saying that as Israel was God's son, and they were called out of Egypt and brought into, uh, uh, rescued from their slavery, so this, Jesus is identifying as God's son here, and is there a rescue taking place? Like, right, so you start to think like that, and that's why it's so vitally important, and I'm pumped. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> Something that I'll, I'll mention fairly briefly is I hear no matter what denomination we come from or what church background, <clears throat> we have different schools of thought, of course, as everything when it comes to like the Old Testament writings. And I know that almost everyone here is probably like, yes, I love it. It's powerful. It really helps us to see um, who Jesus is and, and, and see God's story and stuff. But I do want to say that I think that there are, there are plenty of people who don't know what to do with the Old Testament exactly. Still, like I have these conversations all the time. They go, well, we we see Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. We have a new covenant. Like, so why are we, you know, some, they went backwards. Somehow they went forwards and backwards. Uh, sliding. there we go. Um, somehow, uh, now I've lost my train of thought a little bit. <laughs> I've got it. Thank you. No, no, you're good. No, you're, we were good back on the, uh, on the Old Testament slide. <laughs> Someone went backwards one, I think, or maybe you, anyways, okay, i back to it. So, don't know what to do with the Old Testament and going, hey, uh, you know, we see the fulfillment of this, of, of, of a lot of prophecy, and so why would we go back and we would you know study this thing? I'm not sure if we should. There are some people I know that are adamantly opposed to looking at the Old Testament, and honestly, a lot of it is rooted in they don't like the God of the Old Testament. They think Jesus is nicer, and I, I'm just being real. I, I know... Some of us know people like I mean I know that you, many of us know people like that and so we don't want to we don't I'm not sure that one's a little it's more complicated and I, I'd rather just not I'd rather just say Jesus is the way and I'm just gonna it's all of Jesus and that's it and to that I would say a few things and I think this is really really important for us uh, as we talk about Exodus and how it fits in in God's story now the next slide thanks and that is. Um, Something that Paul says in Romans 11 that I think is kind of important, not kind of important, extremely important. Paul warns Gentiles, which are us, of getting a little bit arrogant and saying, hey, we've been grafted into the olive tree. So, hey, we're special, which we are. God loves us. But as he's saying this, he says, hold up a second. Don't forget that you don't support the roots. The roots support you. And so whenever we think of the grand story of God and what he's done, we have to recognize that books like Genesis and Exodus and the prophets, they are roots for our faith. They are foundational for who we are. And if we don't understand that, we may see the tree above ground, but if we don't understand where the roots are and that they support, we're going to get into some weird, wacky, bad theology, and then it will actually probably get us into some weird, wacky, bad practice in our lives. When we get to Jesus and we see some of the things that he says and some of the things that he did and the disciples do and some of the things that they say, if we don't understand where it comes from, then it's led to some wacky stuff in, in church history and today, to this day. And I don't want to do that. It, would, it might be similar to like, let's just say we wanted to have some legislation passed for racial relations, but we get a committee who doesn't know the history of our country, <laughs> They have no idea what Jim Crow is or what's happened to the Native Americans. Would you want someone like that who doesn't know the history of what's taken place to make laws for what we should do now? I don't think many of us would like to do that. And yet in the church, we often have that. We kind of ignore the roots and the history of where things have been. And so now we make these rules and these regulations, and we say do this and do that, and we forget (laughs) where we came from, and it leads to bad practice. And so that's another thing that uh, that I— Love about the Old Testament Scriptures, I think, that we can't really understand who Jesus is and what part Messiah is playing in the story without understanding where it comes from. Over and over again, we're going to see that, over and over again. So if you go to the next slide, before we look at Exodus chapter 1, I heard an analogy of the story of Scripture that I like, and I think that it will be super helpful because Exodus has so many echoes throughout the Bible. <clears throat> and this person has said that the entire story of Scripture is like a symphony. Anyone ever gone to the symphony? Yeah? Or listened to uh, classical music or whatever. Or even if you don't think you have, I bet you have listened to music scores from movies, right? Like, And you'll hear some sounds. And, and maybe, he was saying, maybe it's like it starts off at the beginning. Oftentimes it's kind of soft. And maybe as you're listening to it you hear a melody played bum 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 and you're like okay cool you hear that melody and then maybe the song takes a few turns and then all of a sudden what happens that melody pops up again bum bum, bum, and you're like, whoa, but now there's a few more instruments that are playing, and you're like, well, that's kind of interesting, and then it takes a few more turns, and you're like, whoa! it goes this direction, that direction, and then there's this, like, crescendo in this melody that you've heard, and you're like, that's so familiar, yet it's so beautiful, and now all the instruments are playing, and they're, it's amazing, and the story of Scripture is very, very similar to that. Like, we're going to hear melodies that are played in Exodus that are talked about and alluded to, to the prophets that are then you know, maybe crescendoing in Jesus and his disciples and things that he says and things that he does. And if we don't know that that melody has been played, we'll miss the richness of the whole story of the symphony. It'd be like starting in the middle and, yeah, it's fine. But it's so much better when we hear it from the very beginning and we hear the whole story. And so I th- just wanted to share a few of those things as we start Exodus because that's so important, I think. That this piece, uh, Exodus, this, this part to the story is talked about so much. The melody that's sung here that we're going to go through or played here is going to be played over and over and over again through Scripture. It's going to be alluded to over and over and over. I mean, think about Jesus in his Last Supper. What, what was that? What, what sup was it? What were they supping? Were they just. Passover, which we're going to read about here. When he hands them, you know, the bread, it says, this is my body and the cup, and this is my blood and my new covenant. Like, these are things that have been sung, melodies for a long time. And then whenever we understand where they come from, we go, whoa, he's saying something big here, and we would probably miss it if we hadn't heard the melody early on. And so now we're gonna get to see some of that, and I think that that's so fun and why I love this kind of stuff. So if you go to the next slide... We're going to start with Exodus chapter 1, if you all want to go there. We're going to go through this this morning. It's not a super long chapter. Some of the things that I think Brian was talking about will pop up here. And so <clears throat> before we, I read this, I am going to make mention that the name Exodus is not the only name for this book. Did you all know that? Do you know what the Jewish people call this book? You will in a second when he goes to the next slide. Shemot, or Sefer Shemot, which means book of names. Which I think is kind of interesting because it might, I mean, I love the name Exodus. That makes tons of sense. The, this departure, this is it's beautiful. But maybe that's another note that we could hear. Why would they say the book of names? It could be as simple as it opens up by saying, these are the names, and someone just said this. Of course, names are something that We get tired of reading, right? The endless genealogies are just, ah. But maybe it does remind us that even though as we're gonna see Israel multiplies and spreads, that God doesn't forget our families, doesn't forget our names, doesn't forget, like this is important to him and important to the community of faith to remember, you know, the John Kings and Megan McKenzie's and, and the Austins and like God cares about us. He cares about these names. And so, the beginning, the first verse. I'll go ahead and read. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah; Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was seventy. But Joseph, Joseph was already in Egypt. This actual uh, beginning starts with in Hebrew a vav, which is actually an and. And so some of your translations might say, now. Uh, there are some that say, and these are the names. And I think that's vitally important because the first thing that uh, the writer here does is says, this is part of a bigger story. So if we, I don't know how we all pick scripture to read or books to read. If you do one-year Bibles or start in Genesis and go, or just say, hey, I think I'm going to study X, Y, or Z. If we don't recognize things like this, the writer is, is, is screaming to us, hey, There's more to this. There's more. In fact, if we just started right here, it'd almost be like watching part two of, let's just say a trilogy, and you're in the middle of it, and you're like, what's happening? Who are these people? You could do it. You could get some enjoyment out of it, but you would miss tons of what's going on. And so it starts with and, and. Not only does it start with and, it actually is um, using listing out all these names that's listed out in Genesis 48. And so it's... Pointing us back to the book of Genesis, pointing us back to the story that's already being told. So if you go to the next slide, I'll be very brief here, but remind us in Genesis we have huge, (laughs) hugely important, absolutely foundational pieces to our faith. Things like creation and we knowing that God created us. And we talked several weeks ago about evil coming in, the way that evil penetrated this Awesome creation that God had so much to where like murders happening almost immediately. Um, But God doesn't, you know what I love, but God doesn't say I'm done with them. There's so many times he could say I'm done with them. He calls Noah and his family, hopes that they would be righteous and start this thing all over again. (laughs) Maybe they would, humanity would finally, you know, fulfill this go and multiply and fill the earth and do it in my image and my righteousness, but humanity Shows over and over that we kind of keep screwing it up. And then a very important piece, especially to what we're talking about today, we see this man named Abraham, who he and his wife can't have kids, and God gives him this promise, look at the stars, Abraham. You know, the whole earth is going to be blessed from you. Like, you are going to be a, a, a huge nation. This is going to be incredibly important in me redeeming mankind. Like, that's, that's what's happening. Your, your family... Is going to change everything. I love that about it. So if you go to the next slide, we see here that as we think of Abraham, who had, who is Abraham's son? Isaac and Jacob. It opens up, beginning talking about Jacob's sons, or Jacob who's called Israel. And we see here that there are Joseph's brothers that are named here, which is a key part to the story. But listen, if we hear this melody played back in Exodus and we see that God was sending rescue through this people, Abraham's seed, and that these 12 brothers became the sons of Jacob, these 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel, became a nation to whom God would send redemption, then when we see Jesus calling 12 intimate disciples, what might that make us do? Whoa, what's he doing here? Like, it's not just some random number, him going, well, let me see. Might, are, are, might, might we start to go, well, hold up a second. If there's a birthing of a nation that's to bless the earth, is there a birth of something that's taking place here? Especially with the things that Jesus begins to say on the Sermon on the Mount and all these things, and like, is there a birth of a kingdom that's providing some, some rescue? What's going on here? Like, this is a big deal. But if we don't hear these melody, this melody played next us, we don't recognize the breadth and depth of what happens. Could you imagine being there and hearing this rabbi and the story of you know, his mother, well, she says she got, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her and that's how she got pregnant and, and now he's calling disciples and oh my gosh, he's calling 12. What are you doing? Like, There's something here. This person is, this is significant or at least they believe they're significant. It's a big deal. And so this points us back to these sons of of Jacob, but also reminds us of where they are, where they're at today. At this moment, it says um, the total number of people who were born to Jacob was 70. So there were 70 that came to Egypt, Joseph already being in Egypt. And when we hear Joseph's story, I'm not gonna belabor it, we see a rescue from slavery. Could you... I thought about that again today. We watched the cartoons, and we're like, we throw Joseph into a pit, and here come, you know. And, but could you imagine, like, your brothers or sisters or brothers' ancestors so frustrated with you and wanting a buck and, like, selling you into slavery? Like, <laughs> traumatic isn't, like, the word for it. I mean, like, that's, that's horrible. It is a word for it. I mean, it's a traumatic experience. Like, who, who, could, who could know what that would feel like? But yet, Joseph remains faithful to God despite... This negative onslaught that happens and Joseph, it seems like he's getting it, you know, things are going his way and then something else happens and you're like, oh my gosh, but you see that Joseph continues to remain faithful. So much so to where he, God uses him to rescue Abraham's seed. They ended up in Egypt because they didn't have any food, because they would starve But because of what Joseph did and how he had gotten to this high position in Egypt and how he had obeyed God and with the dream and was wise with how to deal with saving up grain and all these things, because of that, these people are rescued and they find themselves in Egypt. Because of Joseph, Egypt has become, I'm sure, quite wealthy because of what he did. And so the story points back to that. And then in verse 6, says, Then Joseph died. And his brothers and that whole generation. I always think it's interesting in scripture how it just seems to say so and so died most of the time, right? (laughs) Sarah died, so and so died. Maybe there's a sentence, maybe there's two. Except for with Jesus, then that kind of makes me recognize how powerful that story is to take up word after word after word about his death. But here, it's just Joseph died. Basically, what happens here, you always watch TV series and then, like, season whatever ends, and then the next season starts, and you're in the future a little bit. Like I'm watching one right now. It skips two years into the future. We're kind of doing that right now with the scriptures. (laughs) We're being told that, hey, all this stuff happened with Joseph and and his brothers. We read that in Genesis. It reminds us here in Exodus. Then says, hey, Joseph's dead, all his brothers are dead, and the whole generation's dead. Like, it's gone. I know I don't mean to sound... Callous, but that's what happened, and now we're skipping, fast forwarding into the future, something, and then that's kind of where this story picks up. They're all past. But in verse 7, you get this really cool hope, this really cool note that it says, But the Israelites, so this is, again, Israel's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel's seed, these people who God promised to Abraham would fill the earth, it says they were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The Hebrew uses this word that's like swarm. It was a swarm. Like just, they were just filling up Egypt. And So the book opens on this fairly positive note. Where have we heard this melody played on verse 7 before about them being fruitful? Genesis chapter 1, we hear God's call. Call for mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then we hear this, we see this, and we're like, whoa, there's a group of people that are starting to fulfill God's purpose for mankind. This is amazing. And then the antagonist enters the scene. It's like, again, Brian, there's times when everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, a new king, this is verse eight, you can go to the next slide if you want. Now, a new king arose over Egypt No, never mind. They're in Egypt. Now go to the next slide. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. So come let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So first of all, there's this ruler that rises up who doesn't know Joseph. I don't know how he doesn't know Joseph exactly. I mean, you would think that story would be told over and over, and they would know of this Joseph who helped to make, Israel, uh, to make Egypt as powerful as it is. I know some scholars believe that it's a willful ignorance of, well, mm, I don't really like the Hebrews. I don't really like the Israelites. I don't want to go their way, so I don't know who Joseph is. I don't know anything about that. But what we see here is we see... A direct opposition to the will of God. We see God's calling to be fruitful and to be multiply, and then we see this this, this evil, this villain, this come, villain coming in and 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 saying, "Nope, I'm going to oppose exactly what God called you to do." Which there will always be opposition to what God calls us to do. You know, and that's one of the things that I think is that this story will help us to see is. Just because we're in God and we're in His new kingdom and all these things, that there's going to be challenges that are going to face. Even though they were fulfilling God's purpose at that time, that actually meant, even though they were doing that, it did not mean that no harm would come them or challenges would happen. So we see this new king that arises who doesn't know Joseph, and we see that he says, "Listen, I mean, like, look back at verse nine again. Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are, than we, right?" I can't help but remember the movie A Bug's Life whenever I read this. You guys know what I'm talking about? And the ants? I mean, they were more powerful than those other bugs, but they didn't know it. <laughs> and so the ruler here sees that and sees that they're more powerful and says, hey, you know what? If someone comes and invades our land, all these Israelite people have to do is go, oh, hey, we have tons of numbers. Let's take Egypt out. Well, well let's 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 rule. Let's rule ourselves. And so... He does not choose diplomacy. (laughs) He chooses a a tough hand, a, what is it, what am I trying to think of? Iron hand, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's what he chooses. He's like, well, we're going to go this way. Verse 11 says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. So we see this being fruitful and multiplying, now all of a sudden we see it getting dark. Now, there's taskmasters over these Israelite people. They're supposed to be the people of God. They're supposed to change the world. They built cities, supply cities for Pytham and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. I'm going to stop there for a second. So we may say, how did they enter into slavery? Well, it looks like it was something that happened over time the more they were oppressed. First they set taskmasters. We'll see that it's something that takes place over time, which is how oftentimes peoples and we find ourselves enslaved and whatever. It's usually not always a, hey, you're going to be in slavery right now. Even us individual, Hey, I'm going to become addicted to this. Like it's something that takes place. And maybe they said, well, okay, the taskmasters, maybe we should help Egypt. Oh, it's not so bad. But over time they continued to oppress because they knew how big and how mighty Israel could be if they recognized it. But then, even though there was oppression taking place, even though there were taskmasters being set in front of them, we're reminded that God hasn't forgotten his people in verse 12. Like, he hasn't said, well, oh well, things are going south, I don't care, I take my hands off. You see God's blessing. It says the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread. The writer's saying, hey, God's here in the midst of this. And it happens so much that in the middle of verse 12, when I didn't finish reading, it says, so that the Egypts came to dread the Israelites. <laughs> so you see this battle of, you know, many people say that this is a battle of God versus the Pharaoh, or Pharaoh's gods. You see this idea of God and his call to multiply and to fill the earth, and you see this force trying to stop this from happening, and even when it tries and puts the squeeze on, they're still multiplying. So much to where the, uh, the Egyptians are scared. They're dreading the Israelites. Like, wow, as soon as these people recognize who they are, we are in, in for it. We're, we're in trouble. So what happened? It got worse, right? You think, well, we're people of God. It'll be okay, but in verse 13, it says the Egyptians became ruthless. So now they're not just imposing tasks. Now they're not just setting taskmasters. They're ruthless in it. On the task that they set on the Israelites, they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed on them. The Israelites find themselves supposed to be God's rescue for humanity um, in bitter service, with mortar and brick, being ruthlessly imposed with ta- tasks on them. What's going on, God? Right? What's, what's happening? It gets worse. Isn't that such an uplifting start to the new year? woo It gets worse for the people of God. <laughs> um, yeah, next slide. If you want to go there. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Pua, When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, she shall live. It's so easy to read this and not recognize how evil and how awful. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine being a slave to a group of people and then now the leader of their country or their nation says, if it's a boy, hey, midwives, kill him. Why? If we kill all of the males, they can't reproduce. I mean, that's their thoughts, right? Like, hey, that's the way it stops. We can put an end to the Hebrews if we do this. It's interesting because if we just got done celebrating, of course, Jesus' birth or looking back And if we've heard this melody played back in Exodus when Herod, this evil figure, calls for the killing of all the children, boys, two and under in Bethlehem, we might go, this has happened before. (laughs) Maybe the people in Jesus's day said, this is what preceded a great rescue. Is God playing the same melody? Is it crescendoing in a rescue for something bigger, even bigger than what he did with the Israelite people? Is this finally the time when the nations of the earth will be blessed? Because, wow, we're seeing a lot of very interesting things around this child. (laughs) Very interesting things. Verse 17 says, the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. I I, I often, I wonder if the Israel, if if the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, understood how important their job was. Like, Obviously, that's huge. being a midwife is hugely important. <laughs> if you, that's how the nation is. They are participating in the being fruitful and multiplying. But I wonder if they really realized what a pivotal role they would play in God's plan. I think many of us look at jobs and the things that we do sometimes, and we go, well, yeah, it's cool. I guess I'm doing my thing. But if we're following, as Joseph did, faithfully day in and day out and following what God's... Heart is for us and for the people of the world. We don't know. I mean, seriously, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but we don't know the impact that we're making. We don't know when God's going to call us to because th- them not doing this was life-threatening. No doubt about it. A ruthless ruler says, do this. You don't do it. <laughs> like, and so these women are heroes in the story. They're, they're champions. I mean, it's amazing what they do. They defy this ruler who's super powerful would say, you know what, we're not doing that. It's just it's just amazing. Again, verse 17 says, The midwives feared God. That's what drove them. They feared God. They feared this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the midst of slavery, they decided to fear God. They could have, I th- they could have been like, Forget you, God, why are we in this problem? Which I mean, that's that temptation for so many of us to do, right? Bad things are hitting us left and right, and to go, well, does God exist? I don't know. What do you do in God? But in the midst of suffering, in the midst of these challenges, they fear God, and they walk in his ways. I mean, simply, they save the life of who knows how many children. In verse 18 says, so the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So the king wants to know what happened. And the midwives, seems like they kind of twist the truth a little bit, huh? This is a, have you get, I've heard this ethically you know, discussed? The ethical dilemma of the midwives. What would you do? Would you lie would you, would you lie? Would you kill the children? What would happen? Well, the midwives, they lied so God should punish them. I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff around this, little, this topic right here. And I like to say that we love things to be black and white, don't we? This is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. Now, there are right and wrong things. Like, I could be like, well, let's just gray area everything. <laughs> but in this scenario, like, what do you do if you're the midwife? You know that if, if okay, so even Pharaoh kills me, what's going to happen? He's going to put midwives in there that might kill the children, right? We know that we're not going to. And so he says, hey, you know what? They're a little more vigorous. Maybe they're just, just stretching the truth. Maybe they were pretty vigorous, but we can't make it in time. As soon as we hear someone's giving birth, we just can't make it. They have a child. And people, I've heard people complain about the midwives and, oh, they lied and, but verse 20 says, God dealt well with the midwives. <laughs> Didn't seem like God was too upset about the way they handled the situation. And the people multiplied and became very strong. What a role they played in this. Sometimes I don't know if we recognize the, how crucial this role was to these midwives fearing God and being faithful to this grand, grand rescue of the people of Israel. And because the midwives feared God, so not only did it say that God dealt well with them, it says that he gave them families. He blessed them. He blessed them, said, you did well. You did well. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, so now it gets even darker. Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw in the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. When I read that, I wonder if he was trying to have the midwives kill the babies deceitfully. Maybe he was trying to say, trying to save face. Like, hey, maybe wrap the cord or do, I don't know what he wanted. but what, So that maybe I'm not so bad. Well, he's pretty ticked at this point. And he's like, forget that now. Throw the children in the Nile. A lot of people say that what they did was put them in baskets and sent them down the Nile. And which is why whenever Moses is put in a basket, it's interesting because he's caught in the reeds and that was done on purpose um, so that they could not see the deaths of the children, but just they see it, bye, gone. No matter if they threw them in or did it that way, it was horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. That's an interesting note to end this on, isn't it? <laughs> so I'll just mention a couple things. One is, to remind us of those melodies that are played and how vital... We already hit three of them, three or four of them, I think, in the midst of this one chapter of how important it is for the story that God has been telling. And the other thing that I think is critically important is, you know, um, we have these schools of thought that when we come into Christ, some people will be like, hey, nothing really bad should happen to you. We're in Jesus, so we're all good. We have victory in Jesus, which that means nothing bad happens or whatever that is. We also have the other side of that is, oh, whoa, Jesus' resurrection doesn't mean much because, you know, the world's wrecked and there's nothing we can do and, God, we're holding on and we hope that one day we escape, one day you'll come and set things right. But until then, everything is horrible and let's just hold, just hold on, Right? We have songs like that, (laughs) that we sing in church sometimes, not here. But the reality is, is even though these people are playing a critical part in God's role, which we're in the story, so welcome to the story if you don't realize that you're part of it, that we're part of it, that we've been grafted into the story, it's incredible. But that we see here that even though we're part of the story, and even though we see good things happen, like being fruitful and multiplying, and even when some tough things happening, being fruitful and multiplying... It doesn't mean that there's not an enemy that's going to try to wreck what God wants to do, and that's what He's doing. Purpose: mankind be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Okay, no, we're not going to have that happen. We're not going to do it to where the enemy is not. uh, He doesn't pull any punches. (laughs) I mean, he's willing to kill. He's willing to. That's why I call him the kill, steal, and destroy. Like it's like it's destruction. It's not. We're not going to. You know, we're not holding anything back here. But what we can recognize is is that even though the story looks not great at this moment, that God has a plan, that it's in motion right now, that there are men and women who are choosing to follow God despite being in slavery, despite the tough things that echoes back to Joseph, and despite the problems that happened, he still chose to be faithful to God. And we get the same opportunity today. Like, we get the same opportunity that whether things are going fantastic and we just had a wonderful Christmas and we're good to go, or maybe it was rough this year, or maybe the impact that we're doing, uh, going to, you know, Mitchell Nielsen and Inner City and, you know, with Julie, maybe we see the fruit and we're like, yeah, praise God, or maybe we don't as much and we're going, oh man, I hope this is making an impact, or maybe tough things are happening, you know, like Carolyn getting her car stolen, or you know, me coming back from Memphis and a transmission going out of my van. Praise God for, the, for having, the, uh, having the finances. Ugh. Instead of folding, instead of getting angry and frustrated and God, I don't know, recognizing that, hey, he's here, he's with us. As Ben Austin reminds us all the time that even in the midst of suffering or challenges, the scriptures have taught us one thing is that he's with us, that he has a plan, and then it's our job to just remain faithful to that, despite the challenges, right? A lot of us have been watching football. Anybody watch any football this last week? Yeah, some, okay. I, know I get nervous about sports analogies because I know it alienates people who don't watch sports. But a good football coach, even if their team is amazing, is going to tell their team, it's gonna get tough sometime. They're gonna punch you in the mouth at some time. It's not gonna be like you just skate through. They're gonna say, hey, there'll be challenges, but you can overcome them. I think the story of Scripture teaches us the same thing. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be tough times. And if we get tackled the first time, we know, oh, my thingy, you know, like I'm done. Like, no, toughen up. It's going to happen. Someone's going to hit you. It's going to hurt really bad. But you can get back up. And the end game is it is victory. It will end in victory. And we can be a part of that. And we can be part of staying faithful to God even when we're suffering. What does that tell the enemy? It says, I don't even care. says, you know what? Even though I'm suffering, I'm going to remain faithful. You lose. I'm not giving up. And I love that. So welcome to Exodus. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for for these reminders that you've put in the Scripture this morning, Lord. Thank you for the reminder, even of the grand story of Scripture, that, God, that you have brought rescue, you've brought redemption and that you use the people who started off couldn't even get pregnant. Of course it also alludes to maybe a little bit Mary and her giving birth even though she hadn't had relations with a the man. There's so many wonderful melodies that are played throughout the scriptures God. I pray my prayer today is that it's not that it goes from our heads that we that we grab hold of that but that it hits our hearts and it actually um it produces something in our lives as we read these and we see these things that are taking place father i pray that no matter what 2023 brings that we will remain faithful to you god lord we want as stones river we want you to look at us and go well done my good and faithful servant we want to be completely faithful to what you call us to do even when it's hard and so holy spirit please tell us as a group where we're on target And tell us, give us ears to hear when we're off a little bit so that we can be completely faithful to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.